I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Happy Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition, we're going to be reflecting on Arsenal's disappointing defeat, a third successive defeat in the Premier League at the hands of Ralph Hasenhutl's Southampton, dealing our Champions League hopes a further blow. First of all, I want to say... Welcome to everybody who's joining us live. Welcome to everybody who's watching this back later or listening to it back later. Uh, Happy Easter to you all. It is uh, Easter Saturday and this is not the way that we wanted to spend our Easter weekend, complaining, moaning, whinging about the Arsenal, but they've given us really no choice. Um, (laughs) I don't really know sort of how different this podcast would have been if I did it a few hours ago because I... I purposely stayed away from it because I try, I always try and be as sort of measured, as calm um, and as logical in my sort of breakdowns on Arsenal. And I don't want to be that guy that hits the record button, hits the live button and rants and raves. And that's not what I want to do here. That's not what this podcast or show is all about. So I felt like today, because I felt, much more upset, disappointed and frustrated today than I felt in either of those previous two defeats, if that makes sense. And I'll explain the reasons why, the reasons why to me it was a little bit different today. But my attitude today towards it was, you know, the sun was shining and I was watching the game and I'd put the charcoal on at half time so that by the time the game ended, it would be lit and I could do a barbecue and I had friends coming over. Um, and I was really, really looking forward to my evening. And normally when an Arsenal game finishes, and I wasn't at the game today, I was watching it on the television, but normally when a game finishes, I sort of sit around for a bit. I want to watch the interviews. I want to hear what comes out of the press conference. I want to sort of process what I've just seen. And today I literally, as soon as the game ended, picked up this remote control here, switched off the television, walked out of the door of here and went and got on with my barbecue and got on with my evening. I spent my time with family and friends and completely avoided all things Arsenal. But that gave me time to sort of process it. You know what it's like, you know, these conversations come up and, um, you know, (laughs) they're about nice things but your mind is still kind of churning over what happened in the football and you're kind of sitting there in the corner a little bit reserved um and sort of trying to as I say process exactly what you just saw and what had gone on and I've had some thoughts and I've been trying to kind of get to the bottom of what I think the problem is um I've been trying to sort of decide how much of this is on Mikel Arteta how much of it is on the players I think there's a bit of both um and I think that's important I think that It's also important that we look at some of the decisions that we've made over the last 12 months and how they've put us in this position uh, today. And I'm not talking about the January window, by the way. Um, I'm not talking about allowing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to go. I'm not talking about letting Callum Chambers go. I'm not talking about Ainsley Maitland-Niles going either. I think for me, decisions taken prior to that are what are now costing us. And I'll explain what I mean in a minute. But in terms of the game, yes, we had a lot of the ball. Yes, we played a lot of the game in Southampton's territory. Yes, Fraser Forster made a few decent saves. But Fraser Forster really shouldn't have made any of those saves. If we were clinical, if we were cutthroat in front of goal, if we were ruthless in front of goal, that game could have been put to bed. And that game would have certainly seen us take three points away from it. But instead... We lacked a cutting edge in and around the penalty area. We lacked ideas. I thought the way that Mikel managed the game, just a couple of the decisions sort of really sort of baffled me. And I'll come on to talk about those in a bit as well. But overall, um, you know, a disappointing outing in a game that we really should have won. And this is not like when people are over, I don't want to say overreacting because it's not an overreaction when you lose three times. I think... um, 
I think when you when you go into the position that we were in, or when you're in the position that we were in, chasing for the top four, you I mean, you can't think of anything worse than going on a, a sort of damaging run like this. And it's not like we've been away to Anfield, away to Stamford Bridge and away to Old Trafford and we've picked up these results. When you looked at the remaining fixtures, these were three of the games that you felt had to be bankers. And I know no game in the Premier League is easy and no game in the Premier League is to be sniffed at. No game in the Premier League is one that you can look at and say, we're guaranteed to win here, even if we're not at it 100 percent but you looked at those um you looked at those fixtures on paper and i was very much one of those people who felt that it was going to be difficult to get into the top four anyway but i never for a second thought that we'd lose at palace lose at home to brighton and then go and lose at southampton i i didn't see that coming i've got to be honest and i hold my hands up i did not for a second see that coming and you lose the first one and you put it down to a bad day at the office and you talk about the injury problems. I mean, on that occasion, we were missing Kieran Tierney, but Thomas Partey played. He had a shocking game and pulled up later on in that one. And then you look at the Brighton game and Mikel Arteta needs to take full responsibility for that one. In my opinion, I thought he got the team horrendously wrong. I thought he he disrupted the balance. He put people in the wrong positions. He put square pegs in round holes. I thought he just got it miserably, miserably wrong against Brighton. And so I came away from that game, putting most of sort of the blame at Mikel Arteta's door. And then we come to today and all of us, every single one of us in the build-up to this game was crying out for Nuno Tavares to come back in at left-back, or the majority of us anyway, and Granit Xhaka to go back into the midfield. I know some people suggested a back three, which included Rob Holding. But I think a lot of people felt that Nuno had to come back in, or at the very least, that Granit Xhaka had to move back into the midfield to give us a little bit more control, to give us a little bit more stability. And he did. You know, we controlled the game today. We had the majority of the possession. It was for large periods, one-way traffic. But we conceded a silly goal and didn't have any response. And we never really looked like having a response. You know, as I said earlier... We managed to force Fraser Forster into a few saves. But yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good saves. And they're saves that, you know, for the cameras do absolute wonders. But that Bukayo Saka chance, for example, in the first half, he shouldn't have a chance of saving that. He shouldn't get anywhere near it, Fraser Forster. Um, Bukayo Saka's got to be more ruthless there. He's got to be more clinical. Then there was the save he made in the second half from Emil Smith-Rowe who completely scuffed his shot. You make proper contact with that. It's in the back of the net. And this all comes back to something that I said at the start of the season, and I've said on a few occasions during the season as well. Forget Aubameyang. Forget Maitland-Niles. Forget Callum Chambers. Forget any of the departures that we, we sort of saw uh, take place during January. Forget that we didn't go out and spend an absolute fortune um, on a striker, because as we've said time and time again, the January window is a difficult one. And there was a risk, there was a danger that we would go out and overpay just out of desperation for someone who did not fit into the long-term plan, who did not fit into what we were trying to do. And we'd end up stuck with him later on. And in a position like we have been with so many over the years, we've got a player on a big contract who isn't part of the plans, who isn't taking us anywhere. So I don't even have that much of an issue with that. The big mistake that Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff and the club and Edu and the ownership have made this season is trusting in a group of forwards and a group of attacking players who are just simply not there yet. They're simply not at the level required yet. And you can talk about how their stats have improved and you can talk about how this season they've been a shining light and a breath of fresh air. Yes, but they were never going to maintain it throughout the course of the season. And they've all, you know, they've all run out of steam, all of them. You look at Martin Odegaard at the moment, a shadow of the player that we were seeing earlier on in the season, because he's still at that point in his career where consistency doesn't come naturally consistency is not a given with him. You know, one week he's excellent, the next week he's non-existent. I'm not saying he was 
the worst player on the pitch today. But for me, he, I don't know, he, he, he sort of threatens to do something and then doesn't. I mean, there was one moment in the second half today where he got the ball on the edge of the box and he just dropped the shoulder and he sold a dummy. I think it was to Oriol Romeo and he steps inside him and you think, go on, get behind it, put, put something behind it and put this in the back of the net. And he sort of drags it back wide of the near post. That was really disappointing. You look at Emil Smith-Rowe came on and yeah, Get, made a bit of a difference, got into some good positions. But when the ball fell to him, when it really mattered and he needed to put his foot through it, scuffed the effort. Gabriel Martinelli, flattered to deceive again today. Bukayo Saka just looks like a spent force at the moment. And this is not to be critical of those guys in sort of the bigger picture. But you talk about young talents. Young talents develop by having great players around them. And have that luxury of being able to come in and out of the side without being super relied upon. And that's how they learn their trade. And that's how they build confidence. And that's how they develop. At Arsenal, what we've done is put these guys, these kids, these youngsters under incredible pressure to deliver at a level that they just simply cannot maintain throughout the season. They're talented. So every now and again, you know, they're going to come out and they're going to be firing and everything's going to click. But to ask them to do it for 38 games in the Premier League season was a big, big ask. And as I've highlighted on the show last week, when you look at the numbers being output by the Sackers, the Odegaards, the Smith Rose, the Martinelli's, they're nowhere near those of our competitors. When you look at their peers, when you compare them to players that are also playing in wide forward positions, if you like, or just off the front man, the numbers just don't stack up and we were never going to be able to sustain that. Then we talk about the striker problem. You know, Alexander Lacazette unavailable today due to a positive COVID test. We'd heard rumbles that that was the, uh, the issue in the week. And, you know, some people have taken it upon themselves to create this fake uh, rumour that he and Mikel Arteta have had a falling out. It's an easy thing to do, isn't it, when you're anti the manager and when you want to kind of uh, sort of continue with that narrative and try and sort of put your uh, narrative across or you want to kind of fuel your agenda. It's easy to to make up nonsense stories like that. But <laughs> Alexander Lacazette's got COVID. It's as simple as that. But even he hasn't delivered at the level required. Eddie Nketiah came in today. And actually, I thought in the first half... At certain points, he looked quite energetic. He made a couple of good runs off the ball. I thought he gave us a bit of an outlet in that he could sprint away from people and we could try and hit the ball early, um, a little bit earlier, further forward. There was that one instance in the first half where I thought he did brilliantly to win a free kick when he just accelerated past the centre-back and carried the ball like 30, 40 yards up the line and then got taken out. He gives you something slightly different, of course, but still not at the level required. And so you can talk about Aubameyang and you can talk about the players that left in January and you can talk about the players that we didn't sign. But ultimately for me, when I look at the way this season has unraveled, because that's what's happening now, I mean, we'll be lucky if we finish in the top six, if we carry on the way we're going. Three defeats against three teams that you've got to be beaten, you know, if you want to finish in the Champions League. And as I've said before, the Premier League will give you opportunities. Tottenham Hotspur gave us an opportunity earlier on today when they lost at home to Brighton, which all of a sudden kind of gave us an opportunity to close the gap on them again, meaning that we could have gone to Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night, got a point, and that would have put us in the driving seat for the top four. But instead, we've missed that opportunity. And I was watching the second half today unfold and thinking to myself, if only we can nick a point here, if only we can find an equaliser, look, a victory isn't going to happen. You could see it. There wasn't two goals in that side today. But if we could nick a point, we'd have at least made up a point on Spurs that we didn't expect to make up. But it goes back to what I was saying to you guys on the video that i done outside Emirates Stadium last week. Opportunities come along in life all the time, in every walk of life. But when they do, you've got to be good enough to take them. And we're not good enough. We're not ruthless enough. We've run out of steam, not in the sense, and people keep, whenever I say we've run out of steam, people go, 
oh, but we're not in in the FA Cup and we weren't in Europe and we weren't in this and we weren't in that. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say we've run out of steam, I'm not just talking physically. I'm not just talking in terms of sort of our, our physical condition. I'm talking about everything. Mentally, we've run out of steam. We've just lost our way. And with young players at the forefront of what we're trying to do, that was always a possibility. Doesn't make it okay. And for me now, we've got a real battle on our hands to finish fifth. As I've said to you guys, for me, sixth is the minimum requirement, but we've got a battle on our hands to do that as well. I'm not like... <sighs> I don't really know where to go with this episode because I'm kind of like... <sighs> I'm feeling really downbeat about it today. I've got to be honest. I mean, you looked at that game against Palace and, and you could quite clearly see that it was just an off night, a bad night. Nobody was really at it and we got caught cold and we got done and we got beaten and you kind of take that on the chin and you move on and you put it down to being exactly that, an off night. And then you take on Brighton and I think a lot of our anger and frustration was vented towards the manager and rightly so because he got it horrendously wrong. We could all see that. But then he put it right, I thought, tactically today. And it, it still didn't work. We still looked lackluster. We still looked like we were out of ideas. The other thing I've seen a couple of people talk about, I, I think Tom Canton tweeted this, and I think it's a good point. The decision to take off the fullbacks, um, sort of when we were chasing the game, was a little bit strange because it then took away a lot of the width that we had. But I guess my sort of counterpoint to that would be that when we were working the ball in wide areas, we weren't we weren't picking anybody out. We weren't able to hit a striker who was capable of sort of causing a challenge, causing a problem. Eddie Nketiah certainly wasn't that. Alexander Lacazette isn't that. Neither was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, if you want to go down that route. But we seem to get the ball into wide areas quite a bit and not really make use of it. So I don't see that as as big a deal as some do, um, that he took the players off that he did. I think Nuno Tavares, um, you know, was, was okay today, but you know, he didn't really influence the game in an attacking sense. Cedric drove me absolutely bonkers with a couple of really stupid free kicks in the first half where it was like he tried to catch the goalkeeper out at his near post. And it's like, what a waste. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to pinpoint tactically what was wrong today. You know, the goal that they scored, the way it all came about, it, it's a little bit soft for me. I've seen some people being critical of Ramsdale. Should he have done more? given sort of which part of the goal the ball was struck at. I think from that distance, when someone hits it so hard at you, all you can do is try and get something on it. And unfortunately, it, it didn't go his way today and it ended up in the back of the net. But just the way that whole goal came about just felt a little bit sloppy to me. And right on the stroke of half time, like we'd played OK in the first half. We had a couple of chances in the first half. We weren't brilliant, but we had... I think, been the better side up until that point. And then right on the stroke of half-time, you go and concede a sucker punch goal like that. And from that minute, you just knew. Because you never felt at any point that this Arsenal side had two goals in it to be able to turn this around. And the, the frustration from the Tottenham result, you know, was... Or, or the, the added frustration, I, I guess I should say, I should say, based on the, the Tottenham result... Um, just kind of made this one a little bit too much to take for me today. And as I say, it's why I turned it off. It's uh, as soon as the full-time whistle went, it's why I've taken so long uh, to do this live reaction show. We are going to break the game down more on Sunday and we are going to look at um, it in a lot more depth and in a lot more detail. But at this moment in time, I'm I'm feeling really disappointed and, and I think I'm sort of ready to concede that the top four is not going to happen because we're just not good enough. It's not because of a lack of opportunity. It's not because I believe in Tottenham or Manchester United that they're good enough and flawless. It's simply because I don't think, as I keep saying, that when those opportunities have presented themselves, we've been good enough um, to take them. Look, let's take uh, some of your comments. Uh, big thank you to Medical Study Buddy for your super chat. Thank you so, so much, mate. Uh, really do appreciate it. He says, this is a team that needs an influx of something new. It's a very immature team. I'm looking forward to summer signings. Everything else here on is a bonus. 
Yeah, um, but when you end the season on a downer, which we're sort of on on road on route uh, to doing, it, it makes it harder, doesn't it, to then be optimistic for the summer and people will look at the way Arsenal have kind of fallen apart at the back end of the season and does that impact on those who might potentially join or who may have wanted to join? I, I don't I don't know, but it's hard to, to look at it now from that optimistic light because, as I keep saying, yeah, we've been largely more consistent this season than we have last season. It's why we were in the hunt for the top four. Everybody kept putting it down to Spurs and Man United not being very good. And that was part of it, of course. But Arsenal still needed to be better and we had been better for the majority of the season. But we've just hit a point where we can't get going. We can't click. We're not scoring goals for shit. And um, and it's a real big problem. And now our season is unravelling in front of us. I've seen some people take issue with some of Mikel Arteta's post-match comments, which we're going to do uh, a little bit more of a deep dive into on tomorrow's show. Um, but I just wanted to get some sort of reaction out to you guys this evening um, on this one. Let's take some of your uh, some of your comments. Um, SFT says, why are you blaming Odegaard? Arteta started Eddie and Ketia. We were gonna, never going to win uh, Harry with him up top. I, I wasn't blaming Martin Odegaard solely for the result. Um, no, no, that's not what I was doing. I, I was just... I went through all of those players, Odegaard, Smith-Rowe when he came on, Martinelli, Saka. Um, I went through all of them because I feel like all of them are not at their best at the moment. All of them are struggling for form. All of them are struggling to have an impact on games. And Martin Odegaard is someone that is so important to us. When he clicks, Arsenal click. When he is on song, Arsenal are on song. When he dictates the play, Arsenal are a much better outfit. And unfortunately... He's not been able to do that in recent games. Um, so I wasn't specifically digging out Martin Odegaard, but um, he was one of the players I mentioned. Inter says, uh, Mikel Arteta needs to learn from his trade plus young players. Arsenal Football Club is a crash. Um, Wandering Minstrel says, the team are trying their best. We have limited players. Um, Tariq Talk says, the people who say Mikel Arteta isn't good enough. I'm presuming you think Martinelli Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka aren't good enough too. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But nobody will... Th this is what I've, I've struggled with, OK? So I always get accused of supporting Mikel Arteta. And I, in my eyes, he can do nothing wrong. As I've said to you guys, I think he's done lots of wrong um, over the last couple of weeks. And I think his mistake for me, in my humble opinion, uh, this season was to go into the season trusting in those players that I've mentioned, those young players, to be able to lift their outputs to a level that would see us compete. Um, have they raised their level? Yeah, they have overall this season in comparison to what they were outputting last season, but it's still not enough. Uh, and and this is the thing, like, I find it weird and strange how, like, for example, today, there's no excuse for Bukayo Saka not finishing that chance that Gabriel Martinelli's put on a plate for him in the first half. There's absolutely no excuse. Had that been... A Lacazette, had that been somebody else, he'd have been crucified. And the point is here is that very easy to go, Mikel Arteta, it's all you. It's very easy to go, Martin Odegaard, it's all you. It's very easy to sort of highlight certain individuals or blame Xhaka somehow, because you could somehow shoehorn Xhaka into it. Um, but the, the point I'm trying to make here, guys, is that there are certain people who are, are just not at the level that you need Yet we as a fan base are reluctant to highlight it with some players and some sort of personnel, but we're quite happy to kind of stick the boot in on others. And the point I'm trying to make, again, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, these guys, they should it, they are promising young talents who should be at a club where they're being nurtured, where they're being developed, where they're getting enough opportunity to continue developing their game and continue taking their game up to a next level but where they're not solely relied upon. Because if you rely on them, you will fail because they're not quite there yet. You don't get the outputs of a Riyad Mahrez. You don't get the outputs of a Hyunmin Son. You don't get the outputs of, um, you know, some of the players that Manchester United have got. You don't get the outputs that Chelsea get from a Kai Havertz or, um, you know, from a, a Mason Mount or, 
the point I'm trying to make, you know, or a Jared Bowen at West Ham or a Wilfred Zaha at Crystal Palace even, we don't get that out of these guys. No matter how good you think they are, no matter how much you love them and adore them, which I do, they're just not at that level and people need to accept that. Um, What else have we got in the chat box? Just scrolling through it. The game says um, there's a good possibility we finish outside the top six. There really is. And that, for me, will be completely unacceptable. And then we can have that conversation in the summer. Um, what else have we got? Jack Burgess says, uh, Harry, even if we get top six, there's no way Arteta has earned himself a new contract. Absolutely no chance whatsoever. Um, Harry says uh, the sun will still rise tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, lots of you asking me whether we could do with another manager. Listen, if we get to the end of the season and it's another disaster season, then yeah, we can have that conversation. But the point I've been bleating on about is that you couldn't be fair in your analysis and have that opinion three weeks ago, which some of you did. And that baffled me. Um, there's people who have been Mikel Arteta out, Mikel Arteta out, Mikel Arteta out all along. And that is not fair. Let somebody fail before you stick the boot in, before you go after them. And this run of results, which I could never have seen coming, I've got to be honest, I could see us dropping points here or there. I could see us even dropping points in the second game. But to pick up three consecutive defeats against the teams that we have is just completely and utterly unacceptable. Injuries or no injuries. Uh, Matt Murdoch says the January transfer window has come back to haunt us, Harry. We've conceded more goals, scored less compared to last season, and we've spent £150 million in the summer. Um, what else have we got? Dupe says, I've seen enough. He needs to go at the end of the season. He can't handle the pressure. Three years under his tenure just to finish sixth if we're lucky. I'm tired of waiting. I just want Champions League football. Um, Tenzin says, Arsenal will not get top four for another two years unless other teams like Man United and Tottenham fall over again. But it's highly unlikely this top four opportunity was the best Arsenal will ever have. I'm interested to know, like, do you guys think that we, had we made the Champions League, right? Had we somehow found our way into fourth place, do you think that we'd have been able to cope with Champions League football next season without like real wholesale investment in the summer? I'm not sure that we could. Have. That's not a, that's not me saying I didn't want to be in it. Of course I did. Um, I'm, I'm probably the biggest Champions League fan you'll find. But it just, you know, it, you look, the more you think about it, the more you wonder if it would have been something that we weren't ready for and, and something that we, we weren't going to get the, the level of investment required to be able to give a good go. You know, it would have affected our league form. I mean, look at our league form now with without any of that. So, again, I'm not saying I don't want to be in the Champions League, but I'm saying that had we made it, we'd have had to, and we we still could technically, but had we made it, we'd have had to go so big in the summer to make sure that we could cope with both competitions. And I'm not convinced that we would do that. Tulip says, um, if we lose the next three games, you think the club will pull the plug on Arteta? Look, I think the club, I think that the Cronkies... I think that Edu, I think that in the re, in the building that they've done over the last 18 months, and what I mean by that is clearing the decks, getting rid of a lot of, uh, of Deadwood, getting rid of a lot of players that clearly don't have a future, don't represent the future of the football club, getting some of them off the wage bill, in some cases actually paying them off just to get rid of them. I've said it before, and again, this is one of the things I've said that sort of goes under the radar and people choose to almost forget that I said it because it doesn't suit them calling me an Arteta lover and uh, Arteta's lawyer and all of that jazz that I normally get. But I have said in the past that this rebuild that we were seeing, the signing of players of a certain age profile, the signing of players with the ability and the potential to go bigger and better and, and have sell-on values, that was a rebuild that I felt the club were doing in spite of Arteta and not because of Arteta, if that makes sense. I feel like it's a direction that was chosen by the club. Um, and and yeah, Mikel Arteta had a say in it. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is that even if Mikel Arteta was to leave in the summer, 
in terms of the young players and in terms of the young spine that we've built, with the, the sort of exception of the striking position, you know, you think about the centre-backs, White and Gabriel, that's a partnership for the future. And you've got William Saliba to come back. Aaron Ramsdale could be our goalkeeper for a number of years. Odegaard could sort of be uh, that attacking midfield sort of leader for a while. You've got Partey in the midfield with the hope that Lokonga will come through and develop. And Smith-Rowe and Saka on either side. Martinelli too. And then you bring in the striker and you've got a really good core and a really good spine. So Mikel Arteta in clearing the decks and getting rid of these people and sort of putting a focus on the youngsters, it could still benefit us just in the future. So that I said it on the video I did outside the stadium the other day. Mikel Arteta might not be the right man to take us forward and get us back into the Champions League regularly. But it doesn't mean everything he's done is bad. And I, it, it doesn't need to be that black and white all the time. You can have a discussion and you can have um, a sort of middle ground in terms of your opinion on this. You don't have to be Arteta in, Arteta out. You don't have to say everything he's done is a disaster. And equally, you don't have to praise him as if he's the Messiah. Do I think he'll go at the end of the season or they'll look to sack? I think if we continue in this way, um, then, yeah, I think they'll have to consider it. They'll have to. They really will. Um, the Manhattan Short says that the second I saw Partey come off with an injury against Palace, I knew then and there our season was over. Um, Tariq, thank you so much for your kind donation, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, he says, the reason I presume that Harry is is because they are just as inexperienced as players as Arteta is as a manager. We're hypocritical with our patience. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Tariq. My point is that there's no patience for Mikel Arteta. And OK, you know, he's the manager. It's a different job. It's a different remit. But the point is, you can't ignore the inexperience point when you're talking about some of our young players but then really home in on it when you're talking about the manager. I just want there to be consistency in the way that criticism or critique, whatever you want to call it, is applied. And it needs to be applied to the manager, but it also needs to be applied to a lot of the players that we're now relying on. Uh, because, you know, for example, Bukayo Saka puts that chance in the back of the net in the first half. Arsenal 1-0 up. Happy days. Southampton have to come out. They have to come on to us. They leave spaces in behind. We've got plenty of legs in behind in Saka, Martinelli and Enketia up top. And instead, we then have to face this low block who aren't budging, who aren't ever going to sort of give us any room, give us any space. And we're playing hopeful balls into the penalty area, trying to make something happen. So, yeah, I think, you know, and again, from a tactical perspective, I'm not really sure um, what else... Mikel could have done today. As I say, I've seen some criticism about him taking off the fullbacks, but in terms of the options he had available to him and in terms of sort of the way the game was going, I don't really know what else he could have done. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you think there's something he could have done, please let me know in the chat and I'll pick it up. But that's kind of the way I saw it. It was more about inexperience today. It was more about lacking a cutting edge. It was more about lacking confidence. And, um, and you know, big players who have been there and done that, their confidence doesn't wane after a couple of defeats because they've been there and done it. They know how good they are. Young players still finding their feet, still finding out and trying to work out how they can recover from situations like the one they currently find themselves in. So inexperience is killing us. But listen, as I say, if we get to the end of the season and this capitulation continues and we do end up outside the top six, let's have a conversation about the manager. I'm happy to say that. But just because some like there was a few people earlier today, okay. So, as I said to you guys, the minute the game finished, I was not interested anymore. I, I just wanted to. I was angry. I was upset. I was disappointed. I was frustrated. I, I had this kind of like emotion for the first time this season where I felt like it was over, and I haven't felt that this season. And that's why I've been so invested and so engaged. I've always felt like we're in there. We're in the race. We're in the hunt. Even if I didn't think or wasn't convinced that we were going to get over the line it was we're in the hunt we're in the hunt we're in the hunt come on let's keep supporting the boys and I'm gonna listen I'm still gonna be there supporting the guys I'm still gonna be at Stanford Bridge on Wednesday I'm still gonna be back at the Emirates on Saturday and I'm still gonna be there in full voice and getting behind the team and getting behind the lads because by the very definition that's what supporters do 
But today was the first time where I felt that that top four race was had ended or that the top four race or that the top four for us was no longer a possibility. You can't miss an open goal like the one that Tottenham set us up for today. You, you just can't. You know, last week it felt like a disaster. It felt like the end of the world. And we had an opportunity today to claw back those three points and we failed. And that, for me, spells the end of, of the race for the top four. So that's why I'm so upset today. That's why I'm probably a little bit more spiky than I normally am. But I, I get a little bit irritated because, and not just irritated, but agitated, because the common thing that seems to happen is, so for example, and I'll read it to you exactly word for word. So as soon as the game ended, um, today i said this was my tweet um hold on a second had to take advantage of spurs's slip up today even a point would have seen us close the gap slightly we're not ruthless enough in and around the box forster makes the saves because the finishing isn't good enough we've run out of steam and i'll just get replies oh you're you're arteta this you're arteta that um you're this, you're that, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, because I choose or because I chose today to spend time with friends and family after the match, as opposed to spamming my Twitter feed with Arteta out, Arteta out, Arteta out, which isn't going to make the fucking slightest bit of difference, by the way, because he's not going anywhere before the end of the season. That means that I'm blind and I can't see it all. And that really drives me mad. I just choose to be critical in a different way. You can I, I've been critical of Arsenal for the last 37 minutes on this episode of the podcast. I don't think I've said a positive thing about the team today. But people won't see that. Instead, people will come at me and tell me that I'm ignoring this and I'm ignoring that. I can assure you I don't I'm not missing anything. Um I, I watch the games over and over again. I spend my entire working days analysing them, making sort of work around them. I'm not missing stuff. I just choose to express my views and concerns in what I believe to be a calm and composed way. And I think that's the right way to do it. Um, it isn't. At, we're not at a point where we should be sort of turning up outside the stadium with our pitchforks. We certainly weren't at that point before today. So for me to be a little bit understanding, I don't see why that's such a bad thing. But anyway, uh, let's see what else we have got. And then look, I just got another tweet come through. You're going to spend 45 minutes on the show uh, telling us why it's not RTS4. I haven't said that at all. What else have we got? Um, Munib Malik says, Villarreal made it without spending big beat a Munich side with a midfield of Coquelin and Kapu. A manager's job is to get the most out of his players. This irritates me, Manip, because you can point to cup runs, magical cup runs, because the Champions League is a cup. Let's, let's be honest. You could point to magical cup runs and make these kind of cases all the time, but they're not a true reflection of a team's quality. A true reflection of a team's quality is how they fare in a league campaign, is how they fare over a period of time. Anyone can have a few magical nights and get over the line. Like this whole Emery love fest and Villarreal love fest. Yeah, they did a good job. They done Bayern Munich. Brilliant. Congratulations. Fantastic. Greece won Euro 2004. Greece. Greece, who can't get anywhere near a major tournament right now. Won Euro 2004, playing the shittest, dullest, most boring football you will ever see. The people point at Greece every time England fail to win a tournament and go, oh, look, Greece won. No, because everybody recognises that that's one of the beauties of this sport, that you can have a magical run. You can go um, out there in a 90-minute period and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the very best. And if you're at the very top of your game, you still stand a chance. That's why football is one of the most beautiful sports in the world. And for me, the most beautiful sport in the world. But if you're going to keep, like, I can find examples of 
lots of things. Uh, look, you were all talking about Barcelona last week in the stream. Everybody was loving off Xavi and the job he's doing there. How many people in the chat last week were saying, Xavi's gone to Barcelona and Xavi turned them around and Xavi's done this and Xavi's done that and he's much better than Mikel Arteta and he's this and he's that. They got dumped out of the Europa League at home by Eintracht Frankfurt the other night. Goes to show, proves my point, that anything can happen in cup ties. You don't judge teams based on cup ties. You can use them as part of your judgment, but you don't solely base your judgment on players, on clubs, on managers based on cup ties. Because in cup ties, anything can happen. It's often a one-off game. They're two legs sometimes. It's not, it's not the way you judge people. You're going to tell me that you'd rather have that Villarreal team now. You're going to tell me that Unai Emery is this, is a saviour when everybody was calling for his head when he was running Arsenal down into the ground. What else have we got? Uh, Woolwich Nomad is the hope that kills you. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. Uh, Jean-René says, uh, come on, you gunners, we have one last chance. In my opinion, I just I just don't think we're good enough, mate. I, I really don't. Uh, Paul Murphy says we're on track in the rebuild. We'll improve again in the summer. Fergie done similar in the early 90s. Got rid of the dross, brought in kids and built on that. Um, is SM was about to, was about back, then he would have got similar. If SM, sorry, I, I'm, my brain isn't working at the moment. <laughs> It's late at night. If is SM, who's SM? Someone tell me in the chat. It might be me. My my brain's not working. Um. Uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? Do, 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 do. Everybody sort of again jumping on the Unai Emery thing. Yeah, he's won this. He's won that. Yeah, he has. But what's Unai Emery done in league competition? Oh, social media. Sorry. Uh, Paul Murphy says social media. So he says if social media was back was around back then, it would have been the same. Absolutely. Jovan um, says, are we going to talk about the fact that Saka isn't good enough or is it a crime to criticise him still? It's, um, yeah, you've you got to be critical of him when he's not performing and he isn't performing at the moment. Let's be honest. But again, it comes back to the point I was making earlier. It's funny how people view some players and some sort of people within the club as, as sort of immune from criticism. And he's certainly one of those. He missed a glorious opportunity, which I keep banging on about, because for me, that was the turning point in the game. That was the big moment in the game that we needed to take. We needed to capitalise on and we just didn't manage it. Just didn't manage it. Um, again, lots of you coming up with the whole uh, Arteta post-match comments thing and I, as I say we'll we'll break that down a little bit uh, more tomorrow I'm going to take some of your questions for the last 10 minutes of the stream so please do get them in but I just want to quickly remind you uh, that on Thursday the 21st of April that's this coming week uh, if you are based in or around London you can come and check myself Tom Canton of the Guna Talk TV as well we're going to be featuring on a live show presented by Lee Judges TV and the Highbury Squad. Kevin Campbell is the special guest. That's from 7 to 9 p.m. You must be 18 or over to attend, but the event is completely free. Uh, you, you'll get to come and have a chat with us, and, and we'll do a live show as well uh, for all you guys there, which will be brilliant. Uh, really, really looking forward to it. And thank you to uh, Sophie of the Highbury Squad for organising this. It's going to be amazing. Uh, really, really looking forward to it. I know a few of you have messaged me already, uh, about putting your names down and I have got those messages so don't stress um, I've just passed them on um, to the guys that are sorting it out because there is limited availability so uh, I will come back to you guys uh, if not tomorrow then Monday um, with just some confirmation there so that you know that it's all good um, yeah so yeah come and join us we'd uh, we'd love to see some of you uh, right let's take a short pause and then we're going to take some of your questions for the last 10 minutes or so Okay, let's see what we've got in the live chat box. <laughs> Thunder Road, look at this. Is your name a play on words, Harry, because you're Greek? Nice one. <laughs> uh, 
Um, right, Inter says, what has Arteta actually done apart from winning the FA Cup? In reality, Aubameyang won him that. Also, can it really be an achievement cancelling contracts? No, it's not an achievement cancelling contracts, but those contracts were not put in place by Arteta. Right, with the exception of Aubameyang, all the rest of those contracts were agreed, done, signed uh, prior to Mikel Arteta's arrival. And we can all agree that most of them were mistakes. And so it's not that we're celebrating them being cancelled. It's that it shows to me or it showed to me that the club had at least recognised the mistakes made of, of the past and were trying to put that right in the best possible way. Um, look, if he finishes outside of the top six this season, we can absolutely 100% have a conversation in the summer and evaluate whether or not he deserves to start the next season because the way we're capitulating at the moment, you're starting to see that. And, and again, I, I go back to it. It's not about even January for me. It's about the decision to start the season, relying and trusting on so many young players. I don't go into, like, I don't start a season as a fan and expect January to be a big window. I always think you do the majority of your business in the summer and January is there if you need something. And yeah, you know, we did need another striker. But again, I was very, you know, if Arsenal go out in the summer and buy a 70, 75 million pound striker, that is the right striker that's going to take us to the next level, then I'm okay with the fact that we waited rather than went and spent 50 million in January on someone who we're then going to be looking to offload 12, 18 months down the line. So I don't really have a problem with that, um, but I do have a problem. And I expressed this point at the time with the idea that we could rely on so many young and inexperienced players to get us over the line without really complementing it with an awful lot of experience. I mean, Mikel talks about the the senior players. Yeah, Thomas Partey's one. Look how long he's, he's out for again. Not for the first time this season. Granit Xhaka is one of those players. Alexander Lacazette is not exactly leading by example, given he can't find the back of the net at the moment. Um, and, and you look around those senior players and you just realise that, A, they've not always been good enough. They've not always been available. And B, there just aren't enough of them. You don't win things. You don't finish in the top four with three senior players. You know, you've got to do it with six, seven, and then you blood in the youngsters. Then you give that young talent a stability from which they can then go on and develop. And we just don't seem to have that at the moment. Uh, Josh Hunter says, uh, should we go back, uh, go with a back three against Chelsea? At this point, Josh, I don't even know. Uh, I can't really even process right now what I think we should do against Chelsea, but it's a possibility, isn't it? Um, given that's the way they play, it might be worthwhile matching them up. Um, I think a lot of teams that don't match Chelsea up get quite overwhelmed by them uh, and basically get suffocated by them in certain areas of the park. So it's something to consider for sure. Alex says a uh, preferred manager uh, choice if Arteta is to be uh, replaced. It's a really interesting question. Um, I don't really know at this point. Um, I've got to be honest. I'm, I'm sort of in the camp of, well, he ain't going to go anytime soon. So why am I going to start sort of getting my hopes up and making a big song and dance about somebody I'd like to come in? Look, there are a few people out there that I really like. I I, I would give Roberto Mancini a crack, you know. Um, obviously, won the Euros with Italy, but missed out on World Cup qualification. So he is going to be available. Um is he someone I'd like to see come? Yeah, I think he's a really astute tactician. Um, and I liked what I saw from Italy in the Euros in terms of their style of football. It was a lot more expansive and a lot more entertaining and, and easier on the eye than it has been when you think of Italian sides of the past. Roberto Mancini feels like a good fit for me. Um, you know, people might talk about Graham Potter and people will talk about some of those names that are just in that kind of bracket below. But Roberto Mancini's won a lot. Uh, won many titles as Inter boss. Uh, as I say, won a Euros with Italy, um, won a Premier League with Manchester City. So I think he's got um, a really good CV, a really good track record. Um, and, and perhaps an appointment like that would help us in bringing in the bigger name players. And um, and yeah, perhaps his experience would get him over the line in some of the situations that Mikel Arteta has struggled in. Uh, some of you talking about uh, Simeone, 
Um, some of you talking about Patrick Vieira. Listen, I think that Patrick Vieira has had a fantastic season with Crystal Palace and I wish them all the best in their FA Cup semi-final tomorrow against Chelsea. But I'm, I'm kind of, I'm sort of looking at Patrick Vieira with a curiosity at this moment in time. And I feel like I want to see another season from Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace before I make my mind up as to whether I think he'd be a good manager for Arsenal. The work he's done there so far is brilliant. Let's not, um, let's not take anything away from Patrick, but there's a, there's a tiny reservation in my mind. There's a tiny part of me that feels like we should wait and see how he gets on next season. That's that's genuinely how I feel. Um, okay, I think I'm going to leave it there. Alex mentions Luis Enrique. I, I would take Luis Enrique too. Fantastic manager. Um, right, but going to leave it there because it is late. I'm shattered. I'm mentally and emotionally drained. And I'm sorry that we didn't sort of go into the tactical side of the game and we didn't um, sort of break it down with stats and facts. We'll do a bit more of that on tomorrow's episode, um, which you can enjoy while you're eating your Easter meal, if you wish. Uh, but I just wanted to um, to say thanks to everyone who's with us live. Thanks to everyone who's watching this back or listening to this back. Really appreciate you guys uh, coming on board. Thank you to everyone on the audio as well. Please do leave us a review if you're on the audio platform. I've seen a few more filter through on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't done that already, please do. Um, and yeah, to summarise, today was the day that the top four challenge finished for me and i know mathematically it's not done but if you look at the way we're playing at the moment three consecutive defeats in the premier league not good enough in itself but the performances have just been lackluster we've lacked the cutting edge we've lacked the ruthlessness we failed to be clinical when it's mattered and i'm at a place where i just don't see arsenal winning a lot more games between now and the end of the season so we'll be lucky as I say, if we can finish in the top six, unless something clicks and something changes. And given that Tierney's going to be out for the rest of the season, given that Partey is uh, is going to be unavailable for a while, we know that Tommy Asu is due to return to training next week. You're hoping that something turns around. You're hoping that something clicks, as I say. But I'm not very hopeful at this moment. So really depressing today. Um, really depressing show. Really depressing discussion. Uh, but we'll be back very soon with more. Thank you all so, so much uh, for tuning in and I'll catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.